Morning, everybody. We come together this morning to share fellowship with our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and each other. I'd like to open our service this morning in prayer after we've sung from Praise the Lord, number 117. We are here to praise you, lift our hearts and sing. We are here to give you the best that we can bring, and it is our love rising from our hearts. Everything within us cries, Abba Father. Dear Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have to share fellowship with you, the Lord Jesus Christ, and with each other. We thank you for time which is out of our out of the world, out of the pressures that we sometimes face in our workplace, in our families, at college, wherever it may be. We thank you for this time of peace and contemplation and prayer and an opportunity to give you praise and worship. Lord, as we come together now, we pray that you will continue to bless us, that all that we say and do will bring glory to you. And through our experience this morning, the remembering of the love that you have shown us by the giving of your Son, that we will be drawn closer to you and made more Christ-like in our everyday life. Dear Lord, thank you for all the things you have done for us. Amen. As uh, anybody who's uh, seen the speaking plan probably knows, it ought to be Peter Green who's uh, presiding this morning. I made the stupid mistake of asking one what the collections were. And uh, I'm beginning to think that uh, the collections are based upon when I am uh, actually up here. Uh, so as per usual, our first collection is the general for the general fund, and our second collection is for building repairs. While the collection is going round, uh, I'm going to ask Steve if he will uh, come up and give us our announcements and Steve will also lead our pastoral prayer. The care news which Elaine has passed me today. The prayer theme for our care news during August is for those people who show Jesus to others in the caring profession. Derek has spent this week in hospital with a clot on his lung. He is now home and on medication to disperse the clot over the next few months. Derek and Rosie are going on holiday next week and we pray that they have a restful time. Please continue to remember Gladys and Pauline, Marion, Bill, Alan, Devon and Christine and others who we don't see very often and who struggle in different ways. We also think of our members who are going on holiday over the next few weeks and that they can have a restful time and feel rejuvenated to serve and show Jesus on their return. Uh, lunch today is being provided by Esther and Johnny, which everyone is welcome to stay for. Uh, next Sunday will be a bring in share. There have been a number of changes to the lunch rota for August. Um, details are in the blue folder at the back. Um, I'm going to be doing the announcements next week and delaying to provide the care news, so please pass information to either of us. As Tony mentioned, I will be leading the pastoral prayer this morning, so if we have friends, family, people we would like to pray for, please uh, make them known now. And we can okay, if you'd like to remain where you're seated and just bow your heads and join with me in prayer. Father, our Lord God, when we look around at our family, at the people we know, at this world, 
It's not hard to see there are lots of people in need who are struggling, who are finding things which are hard. Father, in our weakness to help, in our weakness to provide solutions, in our weakness to do things which are right and good, we know that you have the strength and the power to do all things. And so we bring before you now a number of people. Father, you've, you've just listened to us talk about them. And we know you know all these things already, but you ask us to bring things which are on our heart to you in prayer. And so we do that now. Father, we rejoice with Rosie that Derek came home this week. And he has opportunity to continue to recover. Father, give both Derek and Rosie the strength that they need through this time as the clot disappears from Derek's lung. Father, heal him completely. And I pray that their holiday over the next few weeks is restful and uplifting for them both. Father, we rejoice with Perlin and the family to celebrate Perlin's dad being 82. Father, you richly bless us with life. And when it's a long life and we've been able to experience many things, that's a joy to behold. Father, we... We give you thanks that though he's had some good results back, we know that the cancer has not completely disappeared, but again strengthen her body to continue to fight, so that she can fight it like Rosemary's done, that you have brought her healing and her results are now all clear. Father, we praise and we thank you for healing people. Again, Lord, strengthen Tony at the loss of his wife Marjorie who now rests and sleeps in your care. Father, you know what it's like to lose somebody you love. Yes, you've lost many children, but you lost your son Jesus, even though it's only for three short days. And so you understand the suffering and the grief that people experience. Father, strengthen Tony and all the family. Father, give Juan's brother the strength that he needs as well for his body to continue to fight the cancer in his stomach. Again, Father, we pray for healing. Cancer is something that seems to affect so many people. Every week we seem to have somebody new that we bring to you suffering from cancer. Lord, I don't understand why so many people do suffer from it. It's one of the things that we have to face and deal with. I pray that we do it with your strength. Give us the courage to help each other. And Father, thank you for the strength that you give all our brothers and sisters each day as they work for you. Again, it's something joyful when we can put on activities that people want to come to and they want to spend time with us and they want to hear your message. Whether it's with the young children or with their parents or with other adults. Father, continue to bless us with opportunities. Let us turn nobody away. Let us continue to work hard for you. Father, again we pray, give us the strength that we need. In Jesus, hear our prayer. Amen. If you will just remain seated, we'll finish our prayer time by singing uh, 87. O oh Lord, hear my prayer. We are going to have... Uh, we're going to read 2 Samuel 18, and Charles will lead that for us. 
And then we will read Romans chapter 9, and Ruth will lead that for us. Bible will be. 2 Samuel chapter 18. David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. David sent the troops out, a third under the command of Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zeruiah, and a third under Ittai the Gittite. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. But the men said, You must not go out. If we are forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you are worth ten thousand of us. It would be better now for you to better now for you to give us support from the city. The king answered, I will do whatever seems best to you. So the king stood beside the gate while all the men marched out in units of hundreds and of thousands. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, Be gentle with the young man Absalom, for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. The army marched into the field to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. There the army of Israel was defeated by David's men, And the casualties that day were great, 20,000 men. The battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest claimed more lives that day than the sword. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's head got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair, while the mule he was riding kept on going. When one of the men saw this, he told Joab, I have just seen Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Joab said to the man who had told him this, What? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have had to give you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. But the man replied, Even if a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hands, I would not lift my hand against the king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you, and Abishai, and Ittai, Protect the young man Absalom for my sake. And if I had put my life in jeopardy, and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me. Joab said, I am not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart, while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And ten of Joab's armour bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him and killed him. Then Joab sounded the trumpet, and the troops stopped pursuing Israel, for Joab halted them. They took Absalom threw him into a big pit in the forest and piled up a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, all the Israelites fled to their homes. During his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself, for he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. He named the pillar after himself, and it is called Absalom's monument to this day. Now Ahimeaz, son of Zadok, said, Let me run and take the news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. You are not the one to take the news today, Job told him. You may take the news another time, but you must not do so today because the king's son is dead. Then Job said to a Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed down before Job and ran off. Ahimeaz son of Zadok again said to Job, Come what may, please let me run behind the Cushite. But Joab replied, 
My son, why do you want to go? You don't have any news that will bring you a reward. He said, Come what may, I want to run. So Joab said, Run. Then Ahimeaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. While David was sitting between the inner and the outer gates, the watchman went up to the roof of the gateway by the wall. And he looked out. He saw a man running alone. The watchman called out to the king and reported it. The king said, If he is alone, he must have good news. And the man came closer and closer. Then the watchman saw another man running, and he called down to the gatekeeper, Look, another man running alone. The king said, He must be bringing good news too. The watchman said, It seems to me that the first one runs like Ahimeaz, son of Zadok. He's a good man, the king said. He comes with good news. Then Ahimeaz called out to the king, All is well. He bowed down before the king with his face to the ground and said, Praise be to the Lord your God. He has delivered up the men who lifted their hands against my lord the king. The king asked, Is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimeaz answered, I saw great confusion, just as Job was about to send the king's servant and me, your servant, but I don't know what it was. The king said, Stand aside and wait here. So he stepped aside and stood there. Then the Cushite arrived and said, My lord the king, hear the good news. The lord has delivered you today from all who rose up against you. The king asked the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs is the divine glory. The covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. 
It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens those he wants to harden. Some of you will say to me, why then does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people, who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one, and... It will happen that in that very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only a remnant will be saved, for the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, We would have become like Sodom. We would have become like Gomorrah. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, have not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were, by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Thank you. The readers of that letter obviously didn't quite get it, and I think often we don't always get the things of God. We see things through our own eyes, not the eyes of God. Uh, Nikki's going to come and exhort us in a moment. Uh, We're going to sing our next song, which is uh, Soften My Heart. Set me apart to feel your compassion, to weep with your tears. Come soften my heart. For me, that song contains sentiments which uh, encourage us to be Christ-like in how we see ourselves and the things of this world, that the hardness that often the world encourages us to adopt in our views and our attitudes and the things that we say are challenged. And we come together now with time and opportunity to focus on the things of God, to look at his teachings, to be reminded of the things that God has done for us, the love that he has for us.
that we might be changed to be Christ-like and not worldly. And in that context, I'd like to invite Nick to come up and exhort us. Thanks, Tony. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to be here again. Um, I had a friend who didn't have a penny to his name. He didn't have any savings, earning a bit of interest in the bank. He didn't have a pension to look forward to because he gave up his, his career and his paid work. He had no house or flat. There was no mortgage for him. Um, in fact, he actually relied on other people to put a roof over his head. And he had no life insurance. So when he died, somebody else had to pick up the bill. So I've got a few questions for you to think about during my exhortation. Um, actually, it's not quite true. I don't want you to just think about it during the exhortation, you know, for 20 minutes, uh, half an hour, however long it's going to take. Hopefully you'll think about it for much longer than that. So question one, should my friend have put a bit of money aside to earn a bit of interest just in case? Question two, was my friend irresponsible to leave his job, give up his pension rights? Question three, should my friend have taken out a mortgage rather than become homeless and rely on handouts? And the fourth question, was my friend wrong not to take out life insurance? so as not to burden others with the cost of his funeral. The world that we live in is stressful enough as it is. We've all experienced, and maybe are experiencing, the worries and stresses that everybody, or a lot of people are going through at this moment in time, particularly with the world financial situation as it is. And we probably worry about the financial impact if we fall ill or die. We might worry about our savings or our investments going down instead of up. We might worry about paying our mortgages or getting on the property ladder in the first place. We might worry about maintaining our standards of living when we retire. Worry is a serious issue. It can lead to stress and it can lead to physical health problems as well. And I think at the beginning of this year, the NHS recognise that stress worry is an issue and they launched the NHS stress line. I don't know if it's still going but they they launched it at the beginning of this this year. So just in case you're interested the telephone number is 0300 123 2000. So I've got it written down you can phone it up. That's the NHS stress line. Obviously you know we can turn to our Bibles maybe as our stress line to look for, for help and guidance. And it's in Matthew. I think we're mainly going to be in Matthew here, um, the Sermon on the Mount. But in Matthew, Jesus gives us advice based on his perspective of the commandments of God. So you, you can maybe have a look through Matthew 5 to 7. I'm, I'm going to sort of paraphrase it really rather than go to particular verses to start with anyway. But in Matthew chapter 5 through to chapter 7, Jesus tells us that we've got to go further than the commandments in order to avoid problems, to avoid worry, to avoid stress. Just read chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So basically, to sum it up, 
Jesus says, in, in these chapters, he's saying, nip a problem in the bud before it becomes a bigger problem. And in order to do that, he says over and over again, prevention is better than cure. You've got to go further than just what the law says. The law says, don't kill. I say, and I'm speaking as Jesus here, I say, to prevent yourself getting into the situation where you might be tempted to kill, don't get angry in the first place. In fact, don't even call anyone a fool. Not even in your head. Which is probably harder. The law says, don't commit adultery. I say, to prevent the situation arising, don't even look lustfully at anyone. The law says, don't bear false witness. I say, to prevent you becoming a perjurer, don't make oaths at all. Just say yes or no. The law says, don't steal. I say, to prevent you taking what you shouldn't, start giving instead, even to those who do you wrong. The law says, love those close to you. I say, to prevent you becoming unloving, show love, not just to those who do you good, but to everyone. And that's only chapter 5. Chapter 6 carries on in the same vein, but Jesus then starts looking more at our dealings with God. And in verses 1 to 18, he talks about worshipping God with arms, with prayer, and with fasting. Three different aspects, which I think he's maybe, maybe taking us back to the first three commandments of the Ten Commandments, which were all related to God. Um, so, he, he looks at our attitude to worshipping the one true God, but, he says, to prevent self-righteousness, do you worship him in private? Don't make a show of it. And I think, as Christadelphians, as Christians, we would all acknowledge the advice Jesus has given so far as being good advice. And I'm sure we all try, with varying degrees of success, to actually adhere to what he says and hopefully prevent ourselves from falling into bigger trouble. But it's what Jesus says next that I want to really consider. Because how many of us are actually willing to accept and do what Jesus commands us in Matthew chapter 6? Because what he says isn't really an option as far as he's concerned. In, in the rest of chapter 6, Jesus commands us to trust God. To have faith and not to worry. He commands us not to worry. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't keep that commandment. I worry about lots of things. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't fall into the trap of thinking by your own strength, I can provide for my future. That's what the world out there thinks. And I, Jesus says, I want to prevent you from remaining faithless. I want to prevent you from ignoring the evil that is afflicting people today because you're too busy worrying about storing up your wealth for tomorrow. And in some, in some ways, the points that Jesus brings out in Matthews chapter 5 through to 7 gives us the answers to the questions that I asked at the beginning about my friend. But I want to change those questions around a little bit. Maybe direct them more at ourselves. Is it okay for us, Christians, to have pension funds, to have mortgages, to have life in or health insurance, to have interest-bearing bank accounts? Well, should we maybe avoid these things? Not only to prevent worry and stress, but more importantly, to prevent our hearts being everywhere else but trusting in God to provide. 
I would suggest, brothers and sisters, that having savings, or probably more precisely, saving for a rainy day, when there's plenty of evil that we could be helping today, is something that, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 42, Jesus commands us not to do. He wants to prevent us from covetousness, which then leads to being merciless. Matthew 5 verse 42. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Give it. Now you might, you might think to yourselves, hold on a second, it doesn't mention savings or bank accounts here. And you're quite right. But when we, when we look at what Jesus says in, in a similar account in, in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 6, he makes it perfectly clear about lending money. Um, Luke chapter 6, starting verse 30, and then we'll read verse 34 to 36. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. So that's the, the, the link there. And then verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. By lending our money to the banks, which is what we're basically doing, we lend our money to banks, we're not only hoping to receive our money back, we're hoping to receive it back with interest. And interest, as we're well aware, I'm sure, brothers and sisters, as the Bible calls it, is usury. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 18, puts usury on a par with murder, with adultery, with falsehoods, with idolatry. Those things about you know, the Ten Commandments, it's on a par with that. So maybe we need to think about these things. Back to my question. Should we have private pensions? And I would suggest, brothers and sisters, that a private pension is the modern day equivalent of gathering into barns. And again, in Matthew 6, verse 26, Jesus warns against gathering into barns. Jesus just wants us to avoid covetousness, to prevent us thinking by our own wealth we can provide for ourselves, our own security, instead of putting our security in God. Matthew 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Should we, brothers and sisters, spend money on life or health insurance? I would suggest that life and health insurance is taking thought for tomorrow. Which again, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus commands us not to do. He wants to prevent us becoming covetous. Verse 34, Matthew 6. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Should we take out mortgages? Well, again, it may be okay for the world out there to live beyond their means, but I would suggest that looking to own property is storing up wealth on earth. It's storing up our treasure on earth. And it's interesting, isn't it? If we really believe Christ is going to return, why take out a 25-year mortgage? I don't know. Where is our faith? 
But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus commands us not to store up treasure on earth. Sorry, Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Don't do it. Don't do it. And the, the, the Apostle Paul really continues with this idea um, with regards to prevention being better than cure. He warned about the love of money being the root of all evil. And he goes on as well in, in another of his epistles to, to basically say that covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. So basically what Jesus is doing here in Matthew, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, is by dealing with the last of the Ten Commandments, covetousness, he's bringing us right back to the first commandment. Only worship God. Covetousness is idolatry. If you're doing one, you can't be doing the other. And that's why he says in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6 that we are unable, absolutely unable to do the two. We can't be storing up wealth on earth and worshipping God. The two don't mix. Matthew 6 verse 24 No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He says it in no uncertain terms. And the question is, where is our heart? Do we actually completely trust God or are we maybe just trusting a little bit in our wealth? and in our security, our treasures on earth. Obviously, I can't answer for you. It might not even be an issue for you. <laughs> um, but I do know, you know, to a certain extent, it's an issue to me. I need to examine myself to see what am I worshipping? How much do I put my trust in God? And that's why it's so important for me to listen to the words of Jesus and to apply them personally to me. Where am I putting my faith? Is it in God? Or is it in my bank account? Is it in God? Or is it in my pension? Is it in God or my mortgage? My home? Is it in God or my life insurance? Money is a powerful God. It's the God that this world puts its trust in. And it's so easy for me to put my trust there instead of completely putting my trust in my Heavenly Father. After all that Jesus has told us, does tell us, do we still think that my friend was irresponsible in not providing for his future? And in case you haven't guessed, that friend was Jesus. He gave up everything, didn't he? He knew that the false security that riches offer could actually prevent him from completely trusting in his father. He left his job and any 
security and pension rights that that might have given him. He had no savings to fall back on. He had no home to lay his head. And when he died, there was no life insurance. It was his friends who paid the funeral cost. I'm going to finish with Matthew chapter 19 and verse 21. What Jesus says there doesn't just apply to the person he's speaking to, to the rich young ruler. I think it's equally valid for each and every one of us. So, as disciples, as disciples of Christ, let's listen to what he says and let's also follow his example, not just to keep the Ten Commandments, but to go even further to prevent things taking us away from God, to get rid of the false security of riches and to show our love for God by giving, by loving our neighbour. Matthew 19, verse 21. Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me thank you Nick do we trust in God where is our security they are they are deep and difficult questions sometimes and it is very easy for us I think it is very easy for us, I think, to become self-reliant. My natural tendency is to be self-reliant. This faith thing is a bit of a nightmare, to be honest, sometimes. I'm not quite wired like that. I prefer, maybe, I think, but maybe not, to look after myself because I feel more comfortable with my pension and my savings and whatever it might be but there is real challenge in having our security and our faith in God we are about to take bread and to take wine we are reminded of God's calling to us we are reminded that God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he would be killed. Yet such was his desire that we should know him. Such is the value of our lives to God that he still sent his one and only son that we should know him. And we come now to remember that by having a simple piece of bread and a simple sip of wine. That we might be encouraged and built up. That we might be more willing to offer our lives to God in service to be dependent on God and to be, de- and be less dependent on ourselves, have more faith in God than in the world in which we live, which dictates often 
how we should exist and how we should be and how we should be successful. One will come and lead our thanks for the bread, uh, but first we're going to sing uh, from Praise the Lord number 257. Take this bread I give to you, and as you do, remember me. This bread is my body given just for you. Take it, eat it, each time you do, remember me. Heavenly Father, when we remember the words of David, when he considered the majesty and greatness of your creation, he pondered the question, what is mine that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And these, Father, are questions that have amazed for all the generations because <coughs> what are we that you actually love us? And you all love us so much that you gave his, your son as a sacrifice for our salvation. And Father, we thank you that we come this morning here to Take the tiny piece of bread and remember all your love. And remember, Father, that our Lord Jesus willingly went through this sacrifice for our sakes. Father, if David was amazing at your creation, you were even more amazing, amazed that you love us you love us so much and we are grateful father and we pray in gratitude for this love in Jesus name amen while they were eating jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body dear holy father dear lord jesus Thank you, Lord, for your love. Lord, I don't know how many times I've said that. Thank you for your love. <clears throat> I know that I don't always understand it or recognize it. I'm not sure, Lord, that I have ever really understood it. And... So I thank you, Lord, for this bread and for this cup to remind me, to remind each one of us. To remind me of your love, to give us some idea, some perhaps very small idea as to what your love costs you because you are so passionate about us. And, Lord, to help me to focus on you, to help us to focus on you, I think, Lord, that's why you've given us this bread and wine. That's why we come. Not because there's anything magical in this, 
or that if we miss it, we commit some great horrendous sin. But just to remind us that you are passionate about us. Lord, thank you. When I use words like passion, somehow that means a bit more. I feel passionately about other people. I'm now thinking that you feel so much more of that for me and for all the me's here, Lord. And Lord, you're not dead. You're alive. You're living. You're here with us. And it, it gives me opportunity and a reason to focus on you as a living, passionate, working Lord. Living with me, with us. So Lord, thank you. And as we share this wine, and we take a bit into us, it's only wine, I know, but help us to be more determined, Lord, to take you into us and to, to know you every day in all that we do. Holy Father, Lord Jesus, thank you. Amen. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. My Jesus, my Saviour, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love, my comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, Never cease to worship. I am a terrible flicker. I have an excessive muscle just about there from all the flicking of the remote control at home. I don't do adverts. So if an advert comes, the channel's changing. And I don't know if, if an advert came or a programme finished and I was busily exercising my thumb and we came across a program uh, about the tsunami in 2004. Uh, I can't believe it's 2004. Do you know when almost 300,000 people died? And it was a very sensitively put together program. And people, whoever put the program together, had collated clips from people's private video cameras, etc. and stuff, and there were some happy endings, but mainly tragic stories. But the one thing that came out to me was the fact that people felt guilty if when they survived. They felt guilty to be alive. Do you know, sometimes it's an emotion which we're all too familiar with as Christians. And in some sense, there's an inherent risk that we will have listened to what Nick said this morning. And because we've not listened, and because we don't live up to the, the, the very high standards that the Lord Jesus Christ 
sets us, and the, by the example that he showed us, that we will in some way be deflated and actually, rather than spending time together, being upbuilt and encouraged, actually leave feeling guilty because we're not perfect and we're not as faithful as we should be. Yet the whole point of our gathering together is to be reminded that we follow a God who loves us, who is gracious, who is forgiving, who knows our shortcomings and still loves us and is still gracious. And in that, we should be uplifted and upbuilt so that we, when we now get up and leave, we are more willing and more able to be Christ-like, that through our times now that we have spent with God, the Lord Jesus Christ, with each other, we have learnt to be more faithful, that we want to be more faithful to God than to the ways of the world. It's about not feeling guilty. Our last song, I think I, I funny, you go back over your notes, and actually I always have this. I, the last about 150 times I've been up here, I think I've either finished with 220 or 2119. Now largely it's because I really like the tune, but actually I really like the words as well. 220 from Praise the Lord is going to be our, our last song, and then Andrew's going to come and, and close in prayer. It's, it's, a, it's not something we could probably all sing from a position of where we are at, but more where we would like to be. It's, it's a goal, if you like. Lord of all power, I give you my will. Verse 1 starts. Verse 2, Lord of all wisdom, I give you my mind. Verse 3, Lord of all bounty, I give you my heart. And then we finish off in verse 4 by singing, Lord of all being, I give you my all. I gave God his all. And I'm, it's something we work towards. But we work towards it in the grace of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, our Father, may your love inspire us as we've just sung may it inspire us this week we've seen this morning in our minds we've seen through the bread and the wine that Jesus did give his all and as Tony said that's where we'd like to be but may your love and your grace inspire us Lord to feel so blessed that you care for us and Help us to realise that whatever we do for you, Lord, thrills you. And may that encourage us to go out into the coming week, to be a lampstand for you in the district. And Lord, we all face different situations in our lives. Some of us have some things, some of us have other things. We look around us in the world, but most of all, Lord, we've got you and we've got the Lord Jesus. And we pray that our grip on these blessings might be more firm as the days draw near to your son's return. So help us to keep that thought in our minds and thank you, Lord, for your rich blessings now and for one another, Lord, for our family here in Old Trafford. Amen.